Welcome to Oikos. How are y'all doing this morning? Awesome. So last week we talked about being in control. How many of you wrestled with being in control last week? Because we remember what? When God is great, what? So when God is great, we what? Because he's, he's got everything in his hand. Uh, Jason did an awesome confession this morning just reminding us that God has everything in, in his hand, so why do we try to take it out of it? Why do we think we are so great that we can take what he's got out of his hand? Leave it there. He's better. Amen? So this morning, we go on with the second G. second G is God is glorious, so we don't have to fear others. If we remember from last week, behind every sin is a behind every sin is a lie. So when we look at God and we begin to believe something that is not true of his character, Satan has us in his trap. He did this in the Garden of Eden masterfully. He looked at Adam and Eve and he thought, there's a good way to deceive them. They are already like God, but I'll tell them if they do this, then they'll be like God. He didn't have the power to do that. They already were that. And he deceived them to walk in that road because he's artful. He whispers in your ear, tells you things that you already have, and he tries to convince you that you don't. He tries to change your identity so that you begin to see God differently. And when you start seeing God differently, you start to live differently. And for some of us last week, we talked about those sins that keep reoccurring over and over and over. Sometimes we feel trapped. But there's no way out. Well, God is wanting us to relook at who He is so that we can begin to live in the freedom that only He can give. One of the things that we do is that we begin to sin when we don't see God as glorious. We begin to sin by fearing other people. So we fear what they think about us. We wonder, will they like my shoes? We wonder, oh, are they going to think that it's bad that I'm unemployed? We wonder, oh, maybe I should show up not 15 minutes early, but maybe I should show up 20 minutes early just so that my boss really thinks I'm cool. We begin to really put what people think about us. We really put what people say about us, and we put what people do we worry more about that than we worry about what God thinks, says, or does. Anybody in that camp? This is one of those times you just raise your hand. Because we do it. And we're, what, what I'm going to look at this morning is this sin in Scripture is called the fear of man. Proverbs 21, 25 says it this way. Fearing people is a dangerous trap. But trusting the Lord means safety. In our mind, we can't, it's hard to really live this. 
But in our mind, when we face someone that we fear, we shut down. Or actually, we turn inward. Right? How can I make them like me? How can I get their approval? How can I change the way they think about me? It's you, you, you. It can be a parent with a child. Maybe you have a son who you've been working with for a long time, and you're trying to change who you are so that you can gain his approval because he's doing all the things that you don't want him to do. Guess what? That's a sin. Even though you're trying to do something good, you're trying to keep your son off of drugs maybe. But you're changing and going, how can I get his approval? Well, today I'm going to kind of act like a doctor. And, you know, I actually, that was one of my career choices that I wanted to do. But then I decided I didn't want to go to school that long. And then I ended up going to school that long anyways. So um, I thought that this would be a good morning to just think about, well, what are the symptoms? How do you know when you're fearing man more than God? Because some of you may be going, oh, no, I don't fear. I fear God. I'm a Christian. Any Christians in here? I'm in church this morning. Of course I fear God. For those of you who are listening online, you're going, well, I mostly fear God. Because I at least turn on my computer this morning. I'm still in bed, but I'm, I'm listening. The symptoms include a susceptibility to peer pressure. Now, I think when I put out that statement, a lot of you are going to go, ah, well, now he's just going to talk to those people in junior high and high school. I want you to pull back just a second because it's very true, right? If you're in junior high, high school, even kind of college, peer pressure really seems to be self-evident and in the news everywhere but I think it happens with adults as well. You get around a certain group of people, maybe you get in a certain neighborhood, and you feel like you have to be like them. You get around your work companions, and it's your office, and they do a certain thing. Maybe it's that they go to happy hour, and the guys all get together, and they have some drinks, and they say bad things about their wives, and so you just throw something in there too. Peer pressure affects us. And usually, not only just in middle school or high school, but I think through the rest of our lives. And I believe that a lot of things happen in the crowd because we are... Actually, crowd will be if we do something that's different. What will your office say if they're all having a drink at happy hour, and you go to happy hour, and they all talk bad about your wife, but instead you say, I love my wife. She is a gift from God. What will the guy say? Oh, you know, man, right? I've heard that before. Because they want you to fall in line with a mode of thinking that really is a lie. Peer pressure. You start to crave acceptance from people so much that you will do whatever they do. 
just so that you can fit in. Your neighborhood all decides to get new stuff, and so what do you do? You go, man, our car looks really old. We need a new car. Did you see so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so? They all got new cars. And plus, interest rates are low. I guess we need to get one too. Right? Peer pressure. Another thing is needing something, needing something from a spouse or a good friend. So we think we're not codependent, but we often look to the people that we love the most and we need stuff. We put unrealistic expectations on them, on how they should speak with us, act with us, because we become codependent. And instead of letting our first love be God, we push our spouse or possibly a friend into that first love. Our bestie is no longer Jesus. Someone else that we crave attention from, we crave everything they can give us, and it becomes very unhealthy. So we need something from a spouse or another friend. And instead of turning to God for our needs, we turn to them. Man, it's a lot of pressure when someone does that, right? Because you're not God. You cannot do everything for them. You cannot be everything for them. God can. A concern with self-esteem. Anybody ever have that? In fact, our schools, like, preach it, right? Everybody needs to feel good about themselves. That sounds pretty good, right? Feel good about yourself? Anybody want to feel good about yourself? Of course you do, because you've been brainwashed. But what does the Bible say about yourself? There's another side of feeling good, right? Another side of you are a sinner. You live contrary to God. You are one of the mockers who spit on Jesus when he was crucified. That's what we believe as a Christian, that because we are a sinner, we need a Savior. If you don't believe you're a sinner, there's no need for Jesus. But we kind of like to just like shove that in the closet, right? And I just want to feel good about myself. So we are concerned more about ourselves then than anyone else. And what's the commandment that Jesus gives? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and then love yourself more than others. Is that what he says? No, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love others as you love yourself. Love others as you love yourself. Don't be concerned about yourself. That's what self-esteem directs, an inward reflection about am I good enough? Am I okay? Do people love me? Another symptom, being overcommitted for the fear of saying no. I don't know anyone that does this. So someone will ask you to do something, and um, immediately, inwardly, 
this fear starts to creep up because you go, I can't say yes because I've already said yes to something else. But they just asked me. And if I say no to Mary, she's going to hate me. So you go to the extremes, right? Because if I say no, I, am, I think my relationship is so weak with this person that it'll be destroyed. So someone gives you advice, and you listen, and then you, you make a decision to say no, but then a fear comes in. Oh, I can't say no. What will they think? They'll never talk to me again. They'll never offer advice again. And what happens is that, again, you look inward, and all you can think about is yourself. They'll make fun of me because I'm saying no, because I'm saying I, I can't do that. Um, I'm going to spend time with my wife instead of spending time with you. And so the guys are all going to make fun of me. It's, it's, you know, it's a bad story. Not only will they make fun of me, but they're probably going to get mad or or the relationship is going to end, or especially girls, young girls. When I say young girls, I'm because now I'm 40, so you can be like 28. Um, young girls and relationships with boys. This is a hard one for you, isn't it? To say no. To say, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go there. Because you're fearful that he'll reject you because you just believed a lie because God doesn't place a godly man into your life to pressure you to say yes to something that's secured for marriage. But our culture says, forget that, right? So as your pastor, when you have daughters and I've got daughters, this goes for our sons as well. We are battling a culture that says it doesn't matter what you do. Everyone's doing it. And the big thing is they're scared to say no. And so they get overcommitted into a relationship that isn't good. And it begins to spiral like this. And then all of a sudden something happens and they go, we've got to get married. So they get married, and it spirals some more. And they look at each other one day, and they say, why did we ever get married? God can redeem that, but why do we go there? Because we're scared to say no. There's a fear of what's hidden will be exposed. Is this kind of rough this morning? Could be. Should be. Because these symptoms are real. In fact, you know, some of us are probably looking and saying, um, I've got symptom A, B, C, D, E. Does that mean I'm chronic? What's going on with me? I'm just looking at, like, Bible MD right now. And it's saying, I've got the fear of man. I hope that's what, you're, what you are experiencing right now, because that's what you should be. Because it's a very real lie that Satan has poured into each of us 
and we have these symptoms and we don't even realize that we are living our life this way. We are living the lie. And we wonder why we don't feel good. So we're, we're in fear of what's hidden will be exposed. So if I go and talk with someone, what if they find out that I've been divorced? I've been coming to church here. Everything's awesome. But what if that gets exposed? What if they find out that I had a child and, I, and that child came from something that, you know, just a one-night stand? What do I say about that? So I'm just going to avoid people because I don't want that to come out. What if they find out that I was online yesterday looking at stuff that I probably shouldn't be? You know, this is Adam and Eve to the core, right? The moment they sin and they're in the garden, what do they do? They look at themselves and they are filled with shame. So they cover themselves and then they go hide from God. That's what we do when we have the fear of man. Um, some of you, you can relate with this. Small lies make us look better. Ever done that? I've done it. You know, all you have to do is like add something to your, someone asks you a question like, so how's Oikos growing? Oh, it's, it's, it's growing. We're like, we're like 150 or so a Sunday. I mean, basically I've said the truth because we were that for Easter. Do you see? We do the same thing. Instead of following Jesus, we follow Satan. Ooh, ooh, I'm sorry. Sometimes these things just come out. So we follow his deception tactics, right? He said the same thing to Adam and Eve in the garden. It was basically truth, but then there's just a little shift. So we do this, and we try to make ourselves look better. And why do we do that? Because we want the person to think better of us, because we're worried about what they think about us, because God's truth isn't enough. So we make up our own truth. Ooh, ouch, right? So one of the things I do when I realize I'm doing this is I have to pull back before I say it, because the thought will come up, right? So how many disciples have you made? Oh, gosh, I probably should say like 40. That sounds good. That's a biblical number. Um, and then I pause and I go, liar, 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 pants on fire. So I go, liar, Aaron, you're being a liar. Let's make a real statement because God's truth is enough. What he's doing in my life right now is enough. It's amazing and it's awesome and I should give thanks for it. Why isn't it enough? And then I say what the truth is. Because I like the truth better than the lie. Even though in the moment before I say it, I think the lie is going to serve me better. We like to eat rotten fruit of jealousy and anger, depression, anxiousness, instead of the fruit of the Spirit. You know how many people I spoke to this last week that were anxious about something? 
how many people I spoke to last week that they wouldn't say they're jealous because jealous has this, you know, connotation that you're a bad person if you're jealous. But they say things that make them jealous. They don't realize that they're doing it, but they're doing it. How many angry people? All you have to do is drive on 45 or I-10. 290. Any street. Angry people over driving? I mean, I think about this. Some of the things that we get angry about, a guy was like really angry at me because I was merging onto the highway on the speed limit. And they wanted to get not this far ahead, but this far ahead. Because the highway had stopped. There's nowhere to go. They need one car more. Angry. And guess what I did? I was on the verge of being angry. Because they want one car ahead of me. So what was the big deal, Aaron? Let him go. But instead, I'm like this, driving. Rotten fruit. Instead of having the fruit of Galatians chapter 5, where Paul tells us the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, fruitfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. Instead of seeking after those things, we just resolve to live in anxiousness and anger, and jealousy. Avoidance of people. What if they find out who I really am? I'm not going to expose too much. I'm not going to tell them too much. So I'll just avoid them. Anybody avoided anybody this week? You know, it's that person that when they talk to you, they seem to like have insight into your life and you go, I'm going to avoid. Well, as a pastor, can I just let you know, people avoid me. So, we know that if there is an occasion where someone is having problems, what's the first thing people do? They don't come to worship. They don't come to other gatherings. For us, it's MC. MC would be cut out. Why don't they do that? for this very thing. I don't want to have anything exposed that I'm not ready to deal with or that may bring shame upon me. So I'll avoid people. Comparing others with ourselves, there's a lot of symptoms, aren't there? Anybody do this? Compare yourself with other people? That's about all of us, right? Every profession, every career, everything you do, all of a sudden you have this tendency to just look over and go, why not me? Why not me? Why didn't I get that raise? Why didn't I get that promotion? Why didn't I get applauded in front of the the team? Didn't they notice my contribution? They noticed theirs. How come not me? How come my house isn't like that house? How come my job doesn't give me vacation like that job? How come they get to retire and I don't get to retire? That's mine right now. 
How come they get to do this and I don't? How come this is this way? When you compare yourself with others, what you're basically saying is that the Lord of the universe hasn't given you enough. Ouch. Again, right? You're saying, God, you know what? You're just not good enough for me. You haven't been good enough for me. When you make those statements, it helps. I'll tell you why this helps. Because you're going, I don't like to say that. But if you say it, it helps you to defeat this lie. God, you haven't done enough for me. Whenever you start comparing and going, how come they get that new car and I don't get the new car? You need to stop and go, God, you've done enough for me. You've done enough. You have saved me. You have spilt the blood of your son for me. You have done enough. How come we didn't get that mortgage that we wanted so we could get that house that we wanted? Wait a minute, God. You've done enough. You've given me everything. You hear the change? These are the lies that we say are okay. This is the biggest one for all of us in this room. When you believe that God isn't glorious, when you believe that fear of man is more important than fear of God, you have a fear to talk about him. Why talk about Jesus when he can't be secure enough about the love that he has for you and for this world? So you don't. You don't talk to your neighbors because what? They'll think you're weird. You don't talk to your family because, oh, I think I've done that too much. You don't talk to your son or your daughter again about the love that God has for them because you're fearing what their response will be. You don't talk to your husband about how much it's important for him to be a man in the house that seeks after God because you're afraid of what his reaction will be. You have fear of man. So our culture solution, we kind of hit this already, is to bolster self-esteem, to center inward and go, if you're feeling anxious or worried or depressed, start looking in the mirror and saying, I'm good enough, I'm strong enough, and golly gee, people like me, right? That's what culture says. Bolster your self-esteem. Start looking at yourself and saying, oh, you are awesome. You're okay. People like you. But the problem is, is that our focus pushes God aside and it focuses all inward to us. And the moment someone doesn't like us, then the thing that we just said isn't true. And everything collapses because people are not constant. That's an amen. People will disappoint you. People will make mistakes. People will do things that they don't mean to do, but they do them anyways. People will fail you. But God never fails. So our solution to all these symptoms is to fear God 
not man. Only God can give you the desires of your heart. Only God can do that. Only God can fill whatever is broken inside and missing. Only God. No one else. Now, he'll use other people to work his wonders. But just because someone represents him doesn't mean that you turn to them and depend on them. You depend on God. They're just the messenger of his wonderful grace and mercy and truth, of his message of his son, who has given us everything. Even when we seek for other things. So who is greater, God or man? Who do you approve or who do you seek approval from and acceptance from, God or man? I was reading in this book, when man is big and God is small, that we often, when we start fearing man, when we see someone and we start comparing ourselves to them or we want to seek their approval and and acceptance because maybe they'll give us a promotion or whatever we're trying to do or, um, or we've got our kids scheduled for several sports and so we never miss those because we don't want to disappoint the coach, but we'll miss coming to worship because whatever, that's just, that happens every Sunday. When we have those times, stop and take a step back and go, am I, why am I making this choice to seek this approval? Stop and look at that person and then, and then let the image of God come right alongside of them. And I'll tell you, that will begin the process of defeating the lie of instead of fearing God, instead of letting your life be shaped around fearing man, that you begin fearing God. Because the moment that you look at someone and you go, Oh, what will they think? What will they do? And you stop and you put God there. Then you start making a godly choice and go, well, what does God want me to do? Where does he want me to be? What does he want me to say? Because I want to receive his approval, his acceptance. I want to walk in his shadow, not theirs. And how do we find what he wants? Well, we find it in the word of God. So this morning, we're going to quickly go through Psalm 34. David wrote this psalm when he had been kicked out of the royal palace. Saul was wanting to kill him because David had been chosen as the king, and he was scared of him because Saul was dealing with fear of man. David could have very easily said, I'll do whatever it takes to be accepted into the kingdom again. I'll do whatever it takes to save my skin. And here's his reflection, Psalm 34. I will praise the Lord at all times. I will constantly speak his praises. I will boast only in the Lord. Let all who are helpless take heart. Come, let us tell of the Lord's greatness. Let us exalt his name together. Instead of going... Remind me, Lord, how great I am. Remind me that people like me. Remind me that I'm a good person. His reflection turns directly to the Lord and speaks of his greatness. Because remember, 
And God is great. We don't have to be in control. So David says the first truth about God, that he's in control of this. And no matter how helpless, helpless I feel, I will not let my feelings direct what I do because I'll go back to the truth that I know, that God is there. In his greatness, let us exalt his name. Not my name, but his. 41, prayed, <clears throat> I prayed to the Lord and he answered me. He freed me from all my fears. It's a solution for everything that we need. Talking with God. When you are fearful, you talk to the Lord. Those who look to him will help, will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. In my desperation, I prayed and the Lord listened. He saved me from all my troubles. For the angel of the Lord is a guard. He surrounds and defends all who fear him. Remember, David, in his position, was being sought after by a powerful king who had many resources at his hands. And instead of fearing, David turned to the Lord and said, you are my protection, you are my shield. In you, I will have no fear. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you, his godly people. For those who fear him will have all that they need. Even strong, young lions sometimes go hungry, but those who trust in the Lord will lack no good thing. It's not the current circumstances. David was probably in some cave somewhere with no idea if he's going to eat the next day. He was, he was running away from Saul. It's not the present circumstances. It's that he trusts in God. That no matter what will happen, the Lord is with him. No matter how awful it looks, how many soldiers are coming around and gathering to surround and kill him, he knows that there are angels of heaven protecting him. Because he trusts in the Lord. Come, my children, and listen to me, verse 11, and I will teach you to fear the Lord. Does anyone want to live a life that is long and prosperous? Then keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. Fearing the Lord involves repenting and believing, recognizing where you fail, and then turning and trusting in the one who redeems and restores your life. Verse 15, the eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right. His ears are open to their cries for help. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. He will erase their memory from the earth. The Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. These are things, these are truths of our Lord. But when we live in the lie, we don't remember these truths about God, that he does hear you. When you're fearful, he hears you. When you're hurting, he hears you. 
even if the present circumstances don't look like he is. The Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. He rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. The righteous person faces many troubles, but the Lord comes to rescue each time. For the Lord protects the bones of the righteous, not one of them is broken. Calamity will surely destroy the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be punished. But the Lord will redeem those who serve him. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. So have you been fearing man instead of God? I would suggest that most of us at one time or another have been, and maybe we're in a constant practice. You've probably made man so big in your life that God has become very small. But we believe in a God who is glorious. So there's no reason to fear man. He looks at you and he sees his creation. That you are wondrously made. That you are beautiful. You don't have to say that to yourself because his spirit says it to you. You have eternal significance in his presence. You have eternal significance in his presence. There is no reason to fear man, to try to gain favor from man. God already gave you his favor when he sent his son to die for you. Because in that work of Jesus, Jesus said, everyone who believes in my name will be saved. Everyone who believes in me, they are welcome to have eternal significance in the presence of my Father. All of heaven will rejoice when we walk through. You, sometimes you just go, oh, that's just churchy talk. But think about that. Let that rest on you. All of heaven will rejoice when Jim Vanderwater walks in. All of heaven will rejoice when Buddy Schmidt walks in. All of heaven will rejoice when Dolores Rogers walks in and Preston Putman, Penny Mickle. He will rejoice and the angels will stand up and they'll say, welcome home. Let that rest on you. And yet we take our time during the day to worry about what some other person thinks about us. I hope that we can grasp, grasp onto this today and know that God is glorious so we don't have to so we don't have to fear man or others. We can put others in there just so we're not sexist. So God is glorious so we don't have to fear. God is glorious so we don't have to. God is great so. I don't have to be in control. God is great so, and God is glorious so. Verse 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. That's our Lord. That's the truth. And either we walk out today and we walk in that truth, 
or we make a choice and we walk out today and we just decide to continue to live the lie. I believe you're going to walk in the truth. I believe when you start seeing other people and you go, oh, oh, what are they going to say if I say no? Oh, oh, what do they think about me wearing flip-flops? Oh, oh, what are they going to say about my new pants? Oh, oh. So you're going to just stop for a second and say, Satan, shut up. Because God is glorious. And he has accepted me. God is glorious. He has accepted all of me. God is glorious and all my sins have been taken away. God is glorious and I have eternal significance in his presence. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that we have a chance to remind ourselves of the truth about you. We have been deceived, Lord. We have been deceived into a desperate situation of seeking acceptance and approval from people who will fail us, from people who will approve one day and disapprove the next. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who is constant, that as you look upon us and you call us children, we don't have to worry about that identity being taken away from one hour to the next. That when you say that we're beautiful, we don't have to worry that the next day you'll forget it. That when we tell you our name, you remember it for eternity. Lord, we thank you that we can look to you and that we know through the blood of Jesus we've already received full approval to be in your family. May we walk in that truth. In your name we pray. Amen.